Yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) Welcome, 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 welcome. I love that intro. That's the voice of Ryan Treasure. Some of you know him. He is the VP. I call him of everything at World Talk Radio, Voice America. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, the future of now. We're here talking about tech, and I have a very special panel and a very special topic today. So let me start out with the buzz. I always have a buzz quote. I'm just going to say, vroom. Okay, everybody, let that sink in for a second. I have three room buzz quotes. Number one, listen up. Women account for only 27% of the U.S. auto manufacturing workforce as compared to 47% of the overall labor force. That's a serious talent gap. Is it counterproductive? Yes, it is. That came from www.deloitte.com. A lot more of where that comes from. I have another buzz. Bogey Latner, owner of 180 Degrees Automotive in Phoenix, Arizona, wanted to become a mechanic. She had to apply to 20 shops before she got someone said, yeah, we'll give you a chance and hire you. So what she do? She started her own mechanic shop in her driveway in 2006, and she's a success. That's from cronkitenews.azpbs.org. Go look it up. And I have one more buzz. In 2000, which is 20 years ago, Automotive News had a tough time filling its first list of 100 leading women in the North American auto industry. Duh. By 2015, which was already five years ago, there were hundreds of powerful female executives in automotive for them to choose from. They had a difficult time picking the top 100. That's good news. And that's according to autonews.com. I have a panel of four. They're not just experts. They're women in various aspects of automotive. They're wonderful. They're smart. They're savvy. They all have an interesting background. I'm here on Zoom with them so I can see them. Most of them are smiling. I think they're ready to pounce on this topic. And I'll tell you who we've got. We've got Julie Freem at OESA. I'll let everybody introduce themselves. They all are very credentialed, I shall say. We have Shannon Quinn at Bridgestone. We have Lori Harbour at Harbour Results and Jennifer A. Dukarski. She said I can call her Jan at Batsalong. We're going to ask them for their take on the future of women and tech in the automotive industry. Welcome, welcome, welcome. As the gentleman said, I am Bonnie D. Graham. Let's go around the table. Julie Freem, I speak with you often on OESA Automotive Insiders. I'm so honored that you accepted the invitation. So, Julie, in case there's four people in the world who don't know who you are, maybe three and a half. Why don't you introduce yourself to them? Tell us a little bit about what you do at OESA. I know you have a very interesting background, how you got started in automotive and your passion for the topic. You can do that all in three minutes. Julie Freem, welcome. (laughs) That's a big load. So let's go. Uh, I am Julie Freem. Thank you, Bonnie, for the opportunity. And uh, I'm looking forward to the panel. Um, I got started in automotive because I grew up in an automotive town and my father was an automotive engineer. So Funny, I followed in dad's footsteps. Um, But um, I've been in automotive now for 37 years. I've worked for OEs. I've worked for suppliers. And the last seven years, I've worked for this trade association, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association, or OESA, as you said, Bonnie. Um, So my passion lies around 
helping the industry become a better place for all of us to work. And that is part of the reason why I went to a trade association, because I would have a broader impact on the industry that way by leading a trade association and helping other companies um, have a positive approach to what we do here in automotive. So um, seven years into it, I'm still enjoying it and having fun with it. My own background is engineering. Um, So I started as a chemical engineer um, and started working on seats when I was fresh out of college. Um, So seat foam, seat materials, that kind of thing. Um, But uh, moved over pretty quickly into the sales and uh, program management side of the house, so which is where uh, most of my experience lies. So I'm delighted to be here. I can't wait to hear the other panelists who I know all of them well. And so with that, Thank we'll you, go Julie. On. Thank mm-hmm. you. Julie, is, is it encouraging that Auto News had so much trouble picking because there were hundreds of female executives in automotive in just the space from 2000 to 2015? Is this something that excites you and encourages you? It is. And my goal, and I've actually talked with them about this, is I want them to get rid of it because there's so many women in in the automotive industry that it just doesn't, it's not relevant. I think that's what we Wow. That is breaking news, Julie Frame. That is a big, big statement. Everybody wants to be ranked. I made the top 10. I made the top 20. I got this award. Wow. Very interesting perspective. We'll talk about that. Maybe that'll be one of your predictions later in the show. Thank you. Now we're going to welcome Shannon Quinn. Shannon, welcome. And please tell us a little bit about who you are and introduce yourself. What's your background in automotive? Thanks, Bonnie, and thanks so much for inviting me to be part of the show, and I'm so excited to be part of this panel. So um, my background, similar to Julie's, um, (laughs) I've had the pleasure of working in automotive for almost 30 years, um, both from the OE side and the supplier side. I'm currently with Bridgestone. Um, I handle the North American business for our consumer tire team. in my experience, I've been able to work on several different products as well as several different functions in the both the OE space and the supplier space. I, similar to Julie, I'm an engineer by education. Um, my husband's an engineer. My daughter's an engineer. My son's an engineer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we have a very different table dinner talk, I think, than several other families. Uh, but technical thinking is definitely in our in our DNA. Um, so like I said, I've been in the automotive industry for about 30 years. Um, and when I first started, there were less than five female engineers in our engineering department. Jokingly, we talked about the fact that we each had our own dedicated stall in the bathroom. So when more (laughs) female engineers came on board, we had to share, which was a big deal. Um, but over, over the past 30 years, we've definitely seen progress, uh, where I am today, uh, with Bridgestone, we have four of our nine business units. Our, uh, business unit presidents are females. Our chief financial officer is female. Our chief risk officer, as well as our head of purchasing, are all females. Um, and then on the other end, uh, in our stores, we also have about eight percent of our mechanics are um, females as well. So we're trying to to make some progress. I'm optimistic that we'll continue to see progress. Thank you very much. Very interesting about the stalls. Sometimes the show is more true confessions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, this is great. Julie wants to abolish the top 100. You want to make sure. Yes, it's, it's yes. Never mind. I won't go there about the stalls. But thank you, Shannon. You're the only one in the panel I haven't met yet. And I'm very, very happy to have you. We're actually 
very honored and you are all so impressive. And speaking of impressive, let's go around the table to Lori Harbour. Lori, I hope you've been well since we spoke a couple months ago. And Lori, in case there were four and a half people who don't know you in the world, why don't you talk to them and tell them what you do and how you got started in automotive. Lori. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, it's a pleasure to be here talking with you again and to be with this group of women. Um, I have that funny, unique story um, of the father who also has been in automotive, his, was in automotive his whole life and used to take me down to the plant in Hamtramck when I was 10. And I kept telling him I wanted to build stuff. And he kept telling me, no way, you can't do that. And I finally said, why? And he said, because you're a girl and there's no place for a girl in manufacturing. Ouch. So uh, the best part about that, which he um, he knew until the day he left us, that um, that fueled my fire to become uh, what I am today in the automotive space. So I have uh, been in the industry now for 32 years. And, and when I came out of college, I went to work for, with, for him just to torment him some more in that regard. <laughs> so, um, but so I own my own uh, manufacturing consulting business and have been doing that for 32 years and do a lot in the automotive industry as well as other manufacturing spaces. So um, and my passion for this industry is just fueled by making a difference, which was the other thing he taught me in life was just go out and make an impact and no matter how big or how small that is. And so that's been pretty much my, my focus and my passion is we help people provide market intelligence and information on the automotive industry and, and are partnered with OESA on helping a lot of small and medium sized manufacturers. So it's just been a just a, it's a true joy to get up and hit the ground running every single day and work with manufacturing companies. It's been a little tough the last six months, but but it's it's still a lot of fun. So, thank you, Lori. I, I love that story. I never get tired of hearing that story about your dad. Did you did you go to your dad at, at some point and say, "Yeah, I am a girl and I'm going to do this," and, or did he understand that? He he kind of figured it out after a while. I didn't have to really tell him, but uh, <laughs> but you know he had he did have to eat a little bit of crow. There's no doubt. There you go. It happens. I said it. That's all I said. Jen Dukarski waiting patiently. Jen, I said that to a panelist on one of my shows a couple months ago. I said, Bob is waiting patiently. And he said, how do you know I'm patient? I can't wait to talk. So Jen is waiting in the wings. Jen, you and I have met on OESA shows before. I'm so happy to have you here. And why don't you talk to maybe there's 3.2 people who don't know who you are. Talk to those people, especially the point two. Go ahead, Jen. Fantastic. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be back, especially with such an amazing group of women. This is just a, 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 an incredible opportunity. So my entry story, as those of you who may know me, I am a lawyer. And for those of you who don't know me, I am still a lawyer. Um, <laughs> I am a recovering engineer. So I too have a, a nice bachelor's degree in the engineering uh, realm. I'm a mechanical engineer, but I dabble and play an electrical engineer on TV. Um, I am third generation. Uh, General Motors was where I started out. Um, my grandmother worked there when it was a gun plant. My father worked there on the line making um, parts for steering columns and steering systems. And uh, I jumped on board as soon as I got out of college. But I want to pick up on something that, that Shannon said that really is a similar story just to show how much things have changed. I spent 15 years in the industry, then 10 years now as a lawyer. But when I started as a co-op, um, I was the second engineer that my co-op employer had ever hired, and they just didn't know how to handle having yet another woman um, in the company. And they gave me the manual and basically said, Here are the, here's the employee handbook, and you have to dress like all of the women dress. I know and I understand that this is predominantly written for the secretaries, but you have to wear a dress every single day. 
So here I am running tests late at night in pumps and a skirt, carrying <laughs> dripping salt sprayed parts um, and, and running uh, chemical composition tests as a co-op, again, <laughs> in pumps. And I suppose, you know, um, backwards in high heels is a, a, an analogy that goes. Ginger perfect. Rogers and Fred Astaire. Yes. You got it. <clears throat> Absolutely fascinating. I did not know that about you. Um, I'm going to make a statement that may shock some of you, but some of our listeners may be very young around the world. And they might not know what pumps are. <laughs> I'm serious. I know what they are. I think Lori does. Julie might. Shannon, I'm not so sure. But Jan, <laughs> define what pumps are because they, they, we were talking about automotive and talking about pumps, which means something under the hood of a car. So what is pumps you were wearing? Sure, pumps in and- terms of a shoe. I, I, imagine a flat with a little bit more heel to it. <laughs> it's called high heels. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. When I was saying when moderate I was, heels. Moderate heels. When I was a programmer analyst working for the state of Oregon in, in Eugene many years ago, our computer rooms were mainframe. And we're talking about <clears throat> I first worked on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, where I had to climb up on a step stool to put a disk pack in, if anybody mm-hmm. remembers the old key punch days. Mm-hmm. And then I worked on an IBM 4341. And in those days, the computer room was the size of a warehouse. It was enormous. And they lifted the tiles up with a magnet off the floor to get into the wiring. And there were actually whistles and bells and lights flashing on the computers, which were huge. And I was dressing in high heels and skirts as a programmer and walking into that computer room, of course, what can I tell you? It was all all men in there. There weren't that many women in tech in those days, but I remember the high heel days. Now I broadcast from home and don't, you don't want to know what's on my feet. So there we go. Jen, that was a wonderful cultural reference. We're having way too much fun here. Let's get to the next part of the show. We'll have even more fun. For my listeners, I've asked my panelists to please pick a quote from a movie, a book, a song, a TV show, something that will culturally be a little bit provocative, a quote that has absolutely nothing to do with women in tech, in automotive. And let's see how they pick the quotes and what they want to share with us. So Julie Freeman's picked a quote from Hugh Laurie, who played David Nix in the film Tomorrowland. Let me just give a little background. 2015 American sci-fi adventure film about a teen bursting with scientific curiosity and a former boy genius inventor who, bound by a shared destiny, embark on a mission to unearth the secrets of a slice somewhere in time and space that exists in their collective memory. Okay, that's a lot. Here is the quote Julia selected. Every day is the opportunity for a better tomorrow. Julie, bail me out here. What does that have to do with our topic? I think I know, but Julie, go ahead. Well, I'm a big believer in live in the moment, but I'm also a believer in be optimistic about the future. And, and so to me, this uh, highlighted that, that you can look to the future uh, for change and, and to be positive. So I was really uh, just taken with um, both elements of it and, and wanted to share sort of my point of view relative to be in the moment, but also look optimistically at the future. I like that. Thank you very much. Good quote. And thank you for uh, thank you for the tomorrow. And we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. According to Auto News and their their history with the top 100, we're already in Tomorrowland, aren't we, Julie? Right. Mm-hmm. We've come that far in 15 years. We I'm collectively adding myself to the voice here. Shannon Quinn has picked a quote from Peaceful World by John Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. Peaceful World, song written and recorded by the American rock artist Mellencamp and Indy Ari. It appeared on Mellencamp's album Cutting Heads. He also included the track in 
in his 2007 album, 20th Century Masters, the Millennium Collection. And interesting, and you probably know this, Shannon, the song was first played during the 2001 Indianapolis 500 during a commercial for the Indy Racing League when Mellencamp's first, his wife, Elaine Irwin Mellencamp, was the spokesperson for at that time. So go ahead and here is the quote. It's what you do and not what you say. If you're not part of the future, then get out of the way. Oh, I love that. Shannon, talk to me about this quote. Sure. So, Bonnie, as you mentioned, it comes from Peaceful World. Uh, The lyrics are mentioning a social movement, but I felt it also was applicable to the topics that we were talking about today. So I I like the lyric. I broke it into two parts. First part, it's not what you do. It's It's what you do and not what you say. So really, you know, walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. There's so many people out there. Um, that say a lot of things, but just don't do anything. And so I really felt that that resonated with me. And, um, you know, I know it takes courage and fortitude to, to make sure that your actions are, are um, out there and that you're, you're not only speaking with your words, but you're with your actions. And I felt that it resonated. Um, and then the second part of the quote, if you're not part of the future, then get out of the way. Um, I'm somebody who's very comfortable with change. I like change. Um, And I've worked in a lot of environments where people go, well, that's not how we've done it in the past. And, and that kind of just, <laughs> to be honest, it just bothers me. So, um, you know, just because something worked in the past doesn't mean that that's how you should be doing it in the future. Um, so, and it may not be the best way. So I'm always looking for continuous improvement, and I want to work with people who are forward thinking. So if you can't get on board with change and with the future, then just get out of the way. Very, very interesting. Can you imagine having that in a hiring document, uh, Shannon, where you said, if you can't look for the future, if you can't be, bring a disruptive entrepreneurial spirit, we don't want you. Can you? I don't know what HR would do with that with, with, with HR rules and all that, but that would be a very interesting way to hire people. Thank you. Wonderful quote. Really appreciate it. Let's go to Lori Harbour. And Lori has picked another song quote from The Champion by Carrie Underwood. Champion recorded by American country music singer Carrie Underwood featuring rapper Ludacris. Released in January 2018, it was the opening theme for NBC Sports TV broadcast of Super Bowl Looks like 52, L-I-I, and included as a bonus track on Carrie Underwood's sixth studio album, Cry Pretty. It came into the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 at number 47, and the lyrics revolve around recovery from obstacles. Here's the quote. Fight for what we believe in. That's what champions are made of. Wow, Laurie, talk to me about the quote. So this quote is kind of has sort of a twofold uh, meaning. It's probably a bit of a personal and professional kind of quote. So it goes back to that tying of my father saying, hey, you can't do this in the industry and, I, and me wanting to sort of persevere and, and prove to him that I could. And probably something I've taught both of my children as well. And, and, and we're a family of music. So we listen to music and, you know, music sort of helps us get through, you know, trials and tribulations and things like that. So I tell my kids all the time, you can be and do anything you want, but you got to fight for it because it's not easy, right? So mm-hmm. um, so that's a big piece of it. But the other part of it um, goes back a little bit to what Shannon said. It's really about I'm, my constant pressure on the industry for people to be better. And we live in a lot of mediocrity and a lot of these manufacturing companies where our old traditional mindset says, it's okay. We're, we're doing fine. We can, you know, we'll get through it. And the reality is, is that if we really fight to be better and we're constantly working on, on improvement and, and looking to the future, then we can be the champions and we can be better at what we do. But a lot of people just are still stuck in that sort of traditional mindset. So it's 
kind of a twofold uh, mindset for me from a personal and per- business perspective. Thank you, Laurie. Is there, I'm going to ask a, a blanket question. Jen, I'll get to your quote in a second, but is there still any, I'm just going to put air quotes around it, resistance to women in automotive? Let's just quickly go around the table. Julie, do you see it? Uh, yes, I definitely see it. Um, probably more in um, some of the traditional uh, suppliers, uh, not so much the big um, OEMs, certainly not GM or Ford that way, but Smaller companies um, have not had the benefit of having women work for them and, and benefited from that diversity. Interesting. Shannon, weigh in on this, please. I, I agree with Julia. I do think there is. I don't think it's um, as prominent or in your face. I think it's more mm-hmm. unconscious. Um, Interesting. Laurie, what do you see? Uh, 100% agree. I, I, most of my client base is small um, family-owned type businesses under $100 million in revenue. I sit regularly around tables where there not only is not a woman, but there's not an African-American or a Hispanic or anyone like that in the table. And men, men in mold-making facilities wouldn't even think about hiring a woman. Like, how would that change my business? Not, not even in their peer view. Wow. Jen, thoughts? Absolutely. And I I think that we've hit on something here. More of what's left is structural. I don't think that most people necessarily go out deliberately saying we don't want to hire diversity and inclusion. But I think there are just so many structural hurdles, especially given the fact that more than half of the women engineer or the the women graduating from engineering school. I mean, the, the, the classes are mostly women now and we're just not seeing it cascade through. So I think there are structural issues there as well. Interesting. And Jen, now that I have you, let me read your quote. I was going to get to it. Thank you for your patience. Jen sent us a quote from Flemeth, Dragon Age 2. I'm not a video gamer, so I had to look this one up. Flemeth is a shapeshifter known as Witch of the Wilds, Mother of Vengeance among the Chassined, Asha Bellinar, woman of many years in Elvish. I'm working my way through this, Jen. She's widely recognized as the eponymous character of an age-old legend, described variously as extremely powerful, long-lived, or even immortal, and having many daughters, all of whom are witches like their mother. And just to reference the game, Dragon Age 2 is an action role-playing video game developed by BioWare, published by Electronic Arts for Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and OS X. It's the second major game in the Dragon Age series and was released worldwide in March 2011. Here's the quote. Listen up, everybody, a little long. We stand on the precipice of change. The world fears the inevitable plummet into the abyss. Watch for that moment. And when it comes, do not hesitate to leap, for it is when we fall we learn whether we can fly. Oh, Jen, I want to crochet that on a pillow or paint it on a wall somewhere if nobody's looking. Talk to me. How did you find this one? Are you a gamer? I know. Who, who would ever think to look at a video game? Um, I am a video gamer. Um, it's a, a, a nice distraction uh, and stress reliever for me. But um, it, there was a really recent article by Forbes that suggests video gaming trends are just increasing amazingly and are going to continue even post-pandemic. And that now women gamers are a, a larger percentage of the population that ever were. But what what, what called to me in this quote is the fact that, that it, it looks at life that we're on the precipice, we're on the brink of something, we have to do something major. And when we take the leap and jump into it, we have the opportunity to see if we can fly. 
when you look at the industry, we're definitely in some ways on a precipice. We're looking at alternative fuel vehicles. We're looking at emerging technology. We're talking about autonomous vehicles. You know, and, and just beyond automotive, there's so many technological revolutions we're looking at. And it just takes us to, to, to get gutsy enough to step up to the plate, especially as women, especially as powerful women like that character is, and figure out what we can do and just go and do it to see if we can actually fly. There we go. And flying can be a metaphor for so many things we do where we're being brave and we're being bold and we're being different. And by the way, my engineer, Aaron Keller, just told me that uh, Flemeth's daughter Morrigan is his favorite character in Dragon Age 2. There you go. So we, we, that's why we use cultural quotes here, not just, okay, Einstein said. We, we want to wake people up. We do. So now is the, and thank you, ladies, for your work on finding really interesting quotes. Uh, obviously, you put a lot of thought into it, and I'm very appreciative. And it was, it was fun looking them up. By the way, I had the occasion to look up the history of, of Ben's many years ago. I believe he was married to a woman named Bertha who financed the first car. And mm-hmm. she went for the first test drive with him out into the country. And I think she's the one who pushed him to make this car a reality. And she was the one he chose to sit in the car. I don't know whether eight or 10 hours, however much fuel or pedal power they had in those days. And not too many people give credit to Bertha Benz, but there you are. So there, maybe she's one of the first women in automotive who actually made it into the history books. I'll leave that one alone for the historians. This is the part of the show where we go to our predictions. This is going to be a fast prediction round. I'll read one from Julie, then one from Shannon, one from Lori, one from Jen. And ladies, if you have any comments on each other's predictions, just wave your hand wildly. That's why we're on Zoom video here. I can see you. Otherwise, we'll just cycle through them. Take about two minutes and and give us what you see coming, I like to say, up the pike, down the road, whatever direction you're going. So Julie Freeman, OESA, sent us the following prediction number one. Julie says, listen up. The coronavirus pandemic has forever changed many industries, including automotive, in terms of remote work and work flexibility. Julie, you're up. Go. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, And I don't think this is uh, one that many people would debate, but we certainly see it in the industry that the remote work that companies have taken on Uh, is successful. It's allowed them to be not only successful, but in some cases, even more productive. Uh, It's fostered communication and and helped these companies move into this century. And so I think what we're seeing is the automotive industry has rapidly caught up with some of the other industries, maybe high tech, maybe some other industries that had more flexibility and now we have that capability within our industry. So that's going to forever change what we do and how we do it. Um, and I think the upside is it will also allow us to attract a much more diverse group of employees to work in automotive. So that's what I'm excited about. Um, we made this giant leap. Um, circumstances we're terrible, but we did make the, that leap. And so we've done that. And now we need to use it to encourage diversity. Very interesting. Thank you very much. Anybody, any comments around the table? I'll just open that up. Everybody good? Okay, I'm going to go to Shannon Quinn's prediction number two. I like this. This is a very hard-hitting prediction. Shannon says, by 2030, which is just under 10 years from now, which is just like that. In addition to GM, another OE will name a woman as CEO. You all heard it here. Shannon, talk to me. So um, 
as as everybody knows, Mary Barra was became CEO in January of 2014. When we look at uh, the top 500 companies, three uh, percent of those in in 2010 were led by women. In 2020, it's more than doubled to over almost seven and a half percent. So to make the prediction that we go from one CEO to two CEOs, hopefully isn't that much of a stretch. We should be able to double the number of CEO, female CEOs led uh, that are leading major OE companies, especially in, in by 2030, in 10 years from now. Um, we've seen several OEs uh, that have had major leadership changes in the last 10 years. Ford's gone through two, three soon to be. Uh, you know, obviously GM's gone through one, FCA's gone through one. So uh, not only is the opportunity there, but the pipeline of successors and potential successors within these OEs is much stronger than it had been in previous years. Is it strong enough? Absolutely not. Um, but the pipeline is there, the opportunities are there. So there should be no reason that we can't, the automotive industry can't double just like other industries have. Very interesting. And I'm going to go to Lori Harbour, but Lori, your prediction number one, I'm just going to read it because it, it's a nice segue to what Shannon just said, and then we're going to go to your prediction number two. So uh, Lori said, Mary Barra's time at CEO of GM will go down in history as one of the best leaders of the company. And that is a forward-looking statement. Lori, you just want to chat about that for a second before I go to prediction number two, since it's a comment? Yeah, no, for sure. I um, I just think that Mary has, um, you know, was very unprecedented for her to take on that role, but she clearly had earned it and proven herself. And my biggest thing for her, her time and tenure is that she made decisions in a, in a very traditional male-dominated world that none of the men wanted to make. She sold the entire European, you know, division of General Motors to another company People knew that needed to occur, but they didn't want to make those decisions. And so there's things that she did in her time and faced headwinds that I just don't believe the traditional environment would would typically want to make. And so I think that she's got a lot more headwinds in front of her, but I think that there there will be a time when we look back and say, you know, hopefully to Julie's point about getting rid of the top 100, that we look back and go, this is something that should be happening on a regular basis because we have more diversity of thinking at the top of the house. Interesting point of view. Thank you. And now, Laurie, I'm going to read your prediction number two, which, which is another segue. You say there will continue to be challenges for women to make their mark in manufacturing. Why don't you give us a little bit about that, Laurie? Um, I, I think it goes back to the comment about tradition. Um, I work in a lot of industries outside of automotive. You, you, you've all seen what the tech industry has done and we don't have the same barriers of diversity and inclusion as we do in automotive. I'm not saying there's no barriers in those industries, but certainly not the same. Automotive still tends to be a very traditional um, male dominated sort of, I call it sort of square thinking. And we just don't even like to hear the, the differences in the thinking in some cases. So I think in, until we see, True changes. Like if you if you go to a Rivian or a Tesla, you will see a, a very different, diverse group of people because they tend to hire people to think out of the box. They want tech people and Amazon type folks and running these organizations. And I think it's why you're hearing things like GM spinning off EVs and things of that nature, because they want to be viewed differently. A lot of women don't come into this industry because they view automotive as old school traditional. 
And so I think there's still challenges as it relates to automotive and we may still lose more good talent like we have at GM and, and other places. Um, and that's why I think it's going to continue to be a challenge for women. Thank you very much. And let's go to Jen Dukarski. And Jen, I'm going your prediction number one. I like this one. And I was going to bring up the word STEM, but you brought it in your prediction. So let's do it. Jen says, the way to the heart is through helpful technology, driverless news, new mobility, I'm sorry, driverless cars, new mobility models and connectivity will capture the hearts and minds of young women coming through the STEM pipeline as young women engineers flock to automotive to make a difference. That prediction is so packed with buzzwords and key. We've talked about a lot of this already. So Jen, I love the way you put it all together in one statement. Go ahead, Jen, tell us more, please. Well, I think this this answers part of uh, one solution to, to Lori's uh, challenge. Um, we may have a problem with people who are already there, but trying to open up the pipelines, we have a younger generation who is incredibly passionate about making a change for good. Uh, when you look at millennials and, and polls as to why they chose the job they did, more than 60% of them did so because they felt that the company was doing something good for the universe and they were making progress to the future. Um, once they're hired, 84% of millennials really want to do something to give back to society. I mean, this is just great numbers. And when you look at the opportunities that we have with driverless cars, just take that as an example. The fact that you're able to, to help people with mobility issues. Um, we're able to talk about last mile solutions that might help people who normally couldn't afford transportation find a way to get around these challenges and these potential solutions are all ones that, that can really be a change for good that can bring millennial women and younger women who are just starting in the STEM channels now to a place where they can contribute and give back. And I think if we mm -hmm. really promote that and the fact that, that automotive can do social good, We've got an excellent opportunity at, at bringing people in the STEM channels around to automotive. Thank you very much. Interesting. I see a lot of nodding around the table. Let's go to predictions round number two. Julie Freem, I'm looking at prediction number two. I love a hard statistical prediction. And Julie predicts by 2045, and everybody do the math, that's oh, 25 years from now, I think. Most of you all, you'll all still be around. I don't know if I will, but let's not go there. By 2045, women and minorities will make up half of the automotive workforce, an increase of 27%. Julie, why is this number significant? Where'd you find it? What do you see? Well, I do think it's significant. And, and the reason why I'm, I guess, willing to go out there with uh, a 25-year prediction is that if you look at what the workforce looks like by 2045, there will be no choice for these companies but to have women and minorities working um, in their ranks. So um, I think there's a whole host of opportunities coming for women and minorities um, in this business. And we're, to go back to Jen's quote, we're right on the precipice. And so we need, we need women to opt in. We need minorities to opt in um, and demonstrate that. It is an opportunity. It's a challenge, but it's an opportunity for them. So I really was, as I was thinking about the future, you know, by the time someone who's starting now is at um, perhaps the peak of their career or peaking in their career, the workforce will be completely different, in my opinion. And, and so 
think of that as a huge opportunity to have a, a fabulous career, um, it, whether it's automotive or something else, but certainly I would encourage automotive. Thank you very much. Interesting perspective. As I said, we love a hard prediction with numbers attached. Thank you for being so brave, Julie Freem. Shannon Quinn, I'm looking at your prediction number three. This is interesting. You say to accelerate the pipeline of women in automotive, OE, that's original equipment manufacturers and major tier one suppliers will work with several large universities to develop an automotive specific curriculum. Wow. Go ahead. Shannon, tell us a little more. What's your vision for this prediction? So I I developed this prediction for two reasons. Um, one is the, as you mentioned before, the, the 20% gap between the workforce and the automotive workforce. Um, we in the automotive sector need to accelerate the number of women and diverse um, individuals in the automotive space. Um, we do know that the educational sector is one that's actually doing quite well with this. Not only do they attract women, but they also retain women in the in their sector. So. The first is we need to learn from them. And by developing a unique curriculum, we can learn from them. So that is the first reason. And then the second is um, we're all under cost pressures right now. Uh, the universities are under cost pressures as well. So if there's a way for the automotive sector, um, you know, the major tier ones, the OEs to partner with universities to develop a curriculum um, to help with training, to help with um, offsetting some of the costs that the um, OEs and the automotive sectors are reducing, then that's a way to have a win-win partnership. Thank you very much. I love that. Automotive specific. Uh, we have uh, on Long Island, where I, I come from, Long Island, New York, we have something called BOCES, which is trade education. And I know they have an, yes, I'm seeing some some nodding there. So you're saying it will actually go into the university level. Very, very interesting, Shannon. And the answer is, Heck yes. What are they waiting for, right? Yeah, let's let's, yeah. let's move ahead with that. Lori Harbour, I'm looking at predictions number three. Prediction number three, this is uh, provocative because it's a little negative here. You say it will be difficult to get the best women to go into manufacturing versus technology in other industries. Interesting. Lori, talk to me. What do you see? I guess that's the negative consultant in me occasionally. <laughs> But I want to tie that back to something that Julie said too, and, and Jen as well. I mean, I agree that the change in technology coming in the auto industry, frankly, will probably be led by those females who are passionate about that technology. We have to remember that we're going through a massive generational shift right now. So mm -hmm. when I talk about the traditionalist of the automotive industry, our companies are still being run by the remainder of the baby boomers. And people who were brought up in a generation where women didn't work, they were, you know, they, they wanted their women to be at home and, and, you know, raising children and doing things of that nature. So we still have some of that old school thinking. I know because, and I'm sure many of us do, we all have, you know, children in this age group who are excited about technology. I mean, I have a video gamer son and he's the best mold maker in the industry because he knows how to focus in that way. So, mm -hmm. you know, my daughter's in biomedical engineering, so they get it, but they're interested in technology. They're interested, you know, she wants to solve the world's medical problems, right? So they want to make a change. They want to make an impact. They want to make a difference. You know, even part of my quote about fighting for what you believe in, I mean, that's what our kids are doing today with all the civil unrest we have. They're fighting for what they believe in. They want to see change. So I believe wholeheartedly that if we can 
take the technology advancements of the auto industry and be able to pipe them to the right universities, to the right high school counselors who can tell our kids it's an okay industry to go into, then I think we will absolutely attract those people. If we don't do that along with the pay that comes with increased technology, then we're going to lose them to places like Google and, and you know, software companies that are ready to invest or the Teslas and the Rivians who are willing to pay for that kind of innovative thinking and just diversity of thinking. Thank you, Laurie. Very interesting. What, what jumped out at me is when you said they wanted their women to stay home and raise children. <laughs> there were in, books and handbooks written for the young married woman. What, in the, in the 20s, 30s, and 40s? You mm-hmm. will make sure the oatmeal is hot and that the, the front stoop is swept and that you have a cocktail waiting for your man. When, I'm, I'm not kidding. There are, you can find them. There are books with how do you be a good wife? How do you be a good partner? Who, who called women a partner? You were the wife. You stayed home. You did what you're supposed to do. Interestingly, when I was taking my tech education back in the 19... Oh, I, I don't know why. I just couldn't say that number for some reason. <laughs> we, had, we had people coming into... It was at a community college, and I already had a bachelor's degree in psychology, but I was a young divorcee. I needed something to do. My parents sent me a bunch of brochures. Tech jumped out at me. There was a community college three bus rides away. I didn't have a car. I was taking care of two kids, living in a, in a a small apartment in Eugene, Oregon, 3,000 miles from my family. <laughs> I never lived alone in my life. And I went and, and I went to this computer class. Uh, Lori, this is to your point. And they said, um, it's packed, but we guarantee you in two weeks, there will be plenty of seats because people will say, technology, computer programming, what's that? And most of the people will leave. They said, just keep coming back for the first two weeks and we can guarantee there'll be a seat for you. And there was. But mm. what's interesting is that people were coming to us, Lori and everybody, from other professions. We had people who dropped out of architecture school. We had somebody who dropped out of med school. Jen, we had somebody who dropped out of law school. Here I was with a degree in psychology. What the hell did you do with that in 19? And and I was fascinated by tech. And every day was a year. We learned to do our own compilers. And I learned assembly language. And I ended up becoming a professional COBOL and PL1 programmer for years. Mm -hmm. But the point is that we had people who came from other professions who were fascinated by this new thing called computer programming, computer operations. And we flocked. We ended up becoming a very tight group of men and women who wanted to embrace this new stuff. We wanted to make things happen. So you're, you're bringing back some great memories. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Lori. Great statement there. Appreciate that reality check. Jen, I'm looking at your prediction number two. Let me read this. Seeing people as people, and I'm going to give a a subscript there. Oh, my, what a thought. Women will lead an AI in the car and defeat the automotive algorithmic bias problem. And you noted that last year in 2019, Georgia Tech noted that driverless cars often had difficulty with sensing different races. Women are pushing into the sector, seeking to provide solid solutions. This is another wow prediction. Jen, tell us more, please. Well, the algorithmic bias problem, um, it's interesting. Um, Vehicle technology and technology in general that senses faces, it has a hard time understanding what's what. Uh, IBM, a couple years ago, um, was in a joint partnership with a Chinese company, and they found amazing success. 99% of the time, they could tell a white male was a white male but only 35% of the time could they tell that a a woman of color was a woman of color. Just horrible statistics. 
Um, Google, if you went to Google and had them pull up women CEOs, you'll find that even though there are 27% of companies have a woman CEO, Google can only find images for 11% of those companies. So there's something there that, that when we program our artificial intelligence, um, we're using all of these really white male data sets and, and we have a lot of white male programmers who have a very specific centric view. More and more women are entering this field. You know, it, it, when you look at just general engineers and compare them to computer scientists, um, women stay in computer science more than 15% more than they stay in the traditional engineering fields. So you have women migrating into this area, tackling these challenges. And, and with that lawyer hat on, I get lucky enough to, to see some of the people who are actually doing the coding, um, looking to try to improve this so we have fewer issues. And they're blowing me away. I think women are going to be the ones who understand the need for diversity and inclusion, and they're going to push through this barrier, and we're not going to have the problem where cars of the future can't recognize by race or by gender. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Yes, you know, AI, as wonderful or as scary or as weird as it is, there's always a person behind the algorithm. And those biases, they don't creep in, they're put in, they're installed in. Somebody mm -hmm. is writing the damn algorithm. Who are they? What's their worldview? What's their experience? What are their hopes and dreams? What do they predict? What do they want to see? You can't get around it. We're, that's what makes us different from bots. We feel, we think, we have thoughts that come from our shared history and our individual history. So thank you for that, Jen. We have about 10 minutes left, and I'm going to see if we can cycle through a few more predictions. We're going to make this a veet veet, that's French for fast, fast, a quick round. Julie Freem, I'm looking at prediction three and four, and I like them so much, I'm going to put them together because I think they belong together. So let me read both, and then let's see what you have to say. You, number one, number three, you say, working women will be the largest user group for autonomous vehicles, and partnered with that, you say, number four, people traveling with children will be less likely to use rideshare. Julie, what do you see here? Interesting. Well, I thought it was time that we focused a little bit on the technology of the vehicles, not just some of the other things that we've been talking about. So when you look down the road, and it is definitely down the road for uh, autonomous vehicles, I think what you'll see is women wanting to take advantage of that. They tend to be, and now I realize I'm categorizing a bit, but they tend to be the ones that are multitasking more and more focused on um, doing uh, and organizing for the family, if you will. Still, that's still the way it goes. Um, and I think having uh, an autonomous vehicle will free up time for them. And it's just that use of time. They're, traditionally, women um, want to make use of their time that way, you know, in that kind of manner. So I, that's why I think they'll be more apt to use autonomous vehicles. In terms of the children, I think rideshare um, with children is just unnerving um, to have someone else get in the vehicle with your children. You yep. never know um, yep. how that's going to um, go. And so I think rideshare, while individual applications are great, and I think it will continue to be used, um, I think as we have talked about this, it won't overtake the need for a personal vehicle, especially with a family. 
Interesting. Very interesting. We used to have a, a show under my Game Changers banner at SAP called The Future of Cars with Game Changers. And I ended every episode with, in the next five years, will you have the keys to your own car in your pocket? What will be in your garage or your driveway? Or will you go par- be part of the rideshare economy? And those of us who are diehard car owners, especially sports car drivers like me, right. we're not giving it up anytime soon. But you can only put one little person in the in the little, little tushy bucket next to my driver's seat. So <laughs> There you go. What can I say? Shannon Quinn, I'm looking at your prediction number four. I like this one. You say by 2030, the average stock, everybody listen up. This is a hard, but average stock price within the automotive sector will outperform the tech sector attributed to increased women on the board and within the C-suite. Wow. Shannon, talk to me. So I know that we all think this is a stretch, especially this past year where we haven't really seen the automotive sector perform well in in, um, relative to stock price. But we do know and research has shown that women in leadership positions, both within the company and on boards, Mm -hmm. does improve profitability and it does improve social performance and responsibility. Jen mentioned it relative to the millennials looking for that social responsibility. Um, So what the automotive sector is, is, and Jen mentioned it, is we're on this precipice around connectivity, electrification, and this is the time for the automotive sector to reinvent itself, to really push for that diversity in the C-suite and in the, on the boards to put more diversity of thought. And it's not just women, it is true diversity of thought. But you can't just place them on boards, you have to welcome them and to welcome that diversity of thought. If you really wanna see that improved performance, you've gotta have that welcoming of thought. Thank you very much. Let's quickly go to Lori, prediction number four. Lori, quick overview here. Leadership in the future will require hard decisions, new innovation, flexibility, and responsiveness. Go ahead, Lori. Well, it frankly ties into what Shannon just said. I mean, I I believe we're at a tipping point in this industry where we have to make change. And in order for companies like GM and Ford and and FCA to be the, the automotive company 50 years from now, we have to make changes today. And that goes back to this, my comment about Mary Barra, the, the changes and things she's doing, although not embraced by everybody at General Motors or within the industry are things that she and her team believes are the things that will position them to be the OEM of the future. We have several new entrants coming into this market run by people who have never worked in the automotive industry before. And frankly, Wall Street has shown us that they love these companies. They want new thinking, they want new innovation, they want people who are not steeped in their ways. And you have companies like Amazon buying automotive companies. So you you have a whole new world. And we all know that 10 years ago, we didn't have half the technology in front of us that we have today. So I just think it's going to require leaders, new leaders, to make new and tough choices and drive that innovation into the future. Thank you very much. And we have time for one more prediction. Let's end this with a really, really hot one. Jen Dukarski has said, and this goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with the role of the wife, excuse me, women's places in the house. She's talking about the house and the Senate. Look for big assists from outside of the industry. Women legislators will bring some of the biggest impacts to automotive industry and emerging auto tech by leading the charge on driverless car legislation, automotive cybersecurity, and even support for alternative fuel vehicles. Jen, I can give you two minutes here before we wrap up. Go ahead. And this one's easy. Take a look at 2018. We had over 500 women running for office, 117 new 
people in the House and in the Senate. If you think that was something, they say 2020 is the year of the woman. We have over 625 people running for office. Both parties are at record numbers. Um, so I look forward to just more and more women being in the House, being in the Senate and in positions of power. Regardless of your political persuasion, these folks are gonna have to tackle everything from a standpoint of auto legislation and clearing up some of these things that are just unknowns women-led. Thank you very much. What a great way to end on the prediction. I'm going to give each of you uh, one sentence on your final prediction, just off the top. I'm not reading anything you sent me on, let's say, changes to women in automotive in any part of it, whether it's legislative, whether it's on the manufacturing line, whether it's in ownership of companies, whether it's in the C-suite. One hard prediction, or you could just say pass if you want. I don't want to pressure you, but I have to. We're almost out of time. Julie Freem, one sentence. What's your final prediction? I want to go back to the um, women will be in this industry um, and will make up at least half of um, the people in this industry. Um, So I'm excited about that. Shannon Quinn. I would say that the continual growth relative to the C-suite will will surpass that of what we expected. Thank you. Laurie Harbour. Yeah, more women in industry for sure, and also younger women with new innovative thinking. And frankly, I I think they've been educated in some cases better than we have. So I think they're very smart. Interesting. Jen Dukarski, what do you see? More women in the industry, but not just as engineers. You're going to see more leadership. You'll see more lawyers like me, and you're going to see more push all around, as you can tell from this panel of incredibly diverse women. Absolutely. And speaking of, and thank you all for that final lightning round, if you will. Uh, I have to do a shout out to, first of all, Adam Slayman at OESA, who is my, my partner in crime on the Automotive Insider Series. He's always there getting really interesting panels. And April Buford, who works with Adam, thank you both. But the, the hero, the heroine here is Ginger Junker, who I just met through emails a couple weeks ago. And Ginger did the actual engagement of this panel. So Ginger, let's all just give Adam Adam, April, and Ginger, a round of applause for bringing the four of you together to me. And also a thank you to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire. He informed me the other day that he's my sidekick. So maybe I'll have a three-wheel motorcycle and he'll be in the the sidecar. There you go. April came on the screen. You'll be in the recording, April. Thank you. Ginger, you may as well just join us and be on the final screen if you want to. That's fine. And to Ryan Treasure, my co-producer and the VP of I Say Everything at Voice America. So thank you for tuning in to Technology Revolution, the future of now. We've got less than a minute to go and I want you to all remember the future of now didn't happen yet. If somebody tells you the future is already here, look them in the eye, wag your finger and say that was yesterday's future. Today's future didn't happen yet. So we're all going to help to make it a good one, a better one. Everybody be safe, be smart, be savvy and talk soon. Bonnie D. Graham out. Everybody wave. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.